Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Hello and welcome to SciShow Tangents, the frightly competitive science knowledge scream case. I'm your ghost, Hank Gangrene, and joining me this week as always is mad scientist, Scary Riley. Boo. <laughs> and our resident every wolf man, Sam Skulls. The old calendar on the wall says it's time for Halloween once more. And as you know, we here at SciShow Tangents love to get into the spooky spirit. And this year is no different. October will be trick-or-treat month. And Sam and Sari have invited some ghoulish guests over to Tangents Manor to join us this week and the rest of the weeks, I think. In fact, I think I can hear one of them approaching the door now. Trick-or-treat. Why, it's former Simpsons writer and showrunner and current internet food reviewer at large, author of Space 1969, Bill Oakley. Hi, Bill. Bill Thank you for joining did, us. Yeah, how did you? How did we get you and your and your hamper uh, full of, of Doritos? Of chips. Wow. <laughs> you guys, somebody mentioned me on Twitter like a month ago from this podcast. Okay. And yeah. there was, I was, I believe one of you guys selected me as your preferred mystery guest so You're my I mean, dream I, and somebody guest. tagged me in this and i was like sure yeah. i'd love to be on the show 
and and, and then wow. uh, you know the rest is history. Sam is living his his dream life right now. I he am. never smiles this much. <laughs> <laughs> Your reviews just make me laugh so hard. Yeah, I was watching. I was rewatching the Velveeta Martini last night, just cracking up, and also wishing I could have one. Uh, those were good, man. They're, 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 you're probably going to have to go to a lot of trouble to make your own from scratch, but you know it might be worth it <laughs> if you want to spend seventy five dollars to make a cheese martini. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're cheese martinis with cheese on the rim, and then mac, uh, macaroni and cheese stuffed olives. Yep, yep, it, and they and were it good. Was actually, shockingly good. Look, I think that there are not enough things to spend $75 on that is gone immediately. <laughs> like all the things yeah. I spend $75 on, I have to like look at them no, forever. It's still in the house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, may I direct you That's to Las Vegas point. in that case? <laughs> 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 not only can you immediately lose $75 in a thousand different ways, but you could easily spend $75 getting a milkshake with like a piece of cake jammed into the top of it and it will be gone That's in a, you know, a short period of time. That's a wow, a milkshake with a cake jammed into it does sound like <laughs> yeah. right up my alley. Every week here on Tangents, we get together to try to unnerve, disgust, and horrify each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for gory and for candy, and we will be awarding those as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of us will be crowned the king of Halloween. And if the guest is the treat of Trick or Treat Month, here is the trick. Our regular panel will take turns presenting games this month, and I will actually get to play along. But, as always, to introduce this week's topic, we're going to have a traditional science poem this week from our special guest, Bill Oakley. You know, normally I get paid a lot of money to write this stuff, but I did this for free for you guys. Oh, so cool. And that's why it's not an example of my best work, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. We all suck too. <laughs> it's going to be better than ours, and we're going to have to step up the bar, I feel like. <laughs> all right. Well, at least it, uh, it rhymes. Okay, here we go. A refrigerator was installed in the school cafeteria after kids got sick from a harmful bacteria. Because foul bugs grow on many comestibles, turning them fast to indigestibles. Mm -hmm. If serious care with foods not taken, one's cheese or fish or fruit or bacon, without freezing, curing, or refrigeration shall fast result in hospitalization. So pasteurize mm -hmm. or please ferment such foods and you'll prevent acute digestive ruination by using the underappreciated science of food preservation. Ooh. Oh no, that was the best one ever. <laughs> Such long rhymes. I go to one long, syllable yes. rhymes. Yeah. No multiple syllable rhymes. Oh. On topic, Surprise. hard hard words as well. A bunch yeah. of multi-syllable words. We don't do we don't even venture into that world. So the topic for this week is preserved foods. And thank goodness we have them. Uh, without them, we would we would all be very hungry. And not just uh, recently. The preser food preservation has been going on for a very long time. So, Sari, can you tell me a little bit about what preserved foods are? Food preservation is basically what Bill's poem said. Uh, if if you leave food out for too long, food is just made of chemicals, like everything around us, and. Sometimes those chemicals are good and nutritious for us, and sometimes bacteria or fungi or other microorganisms decide to munch on the food before we get it in our tummies and yeah, produce it's food. Yeah, that, like that's one of the problems with food is that it's food, and so everybody likes food. food. For us, everybody likes it. Yeah, the only thing that doesn't like it is plants. They're like, eh, <laughs> why'd you put that on me? I'm trying to see the sun. 
<laughs> except for some plants. Except Sorry. for some plants, Sorry, yeah. Like, there are I'm some like, plants. But well, actually, the the carnivorous uh, pitcher plant eats bat guano. Uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, so yeah, so sometimes things eat it and then produce things that make our tummies upset when we eat the food mm-hmm. after them. Sometimes the compounds in the food just break down in a way. So like oils, when they're exposed to oxygen, they those. Big, long, fatty molecules get oxidized and break down into shorter chain fatty molecules mm-hmm. like aldehydes, which are stinky. And so food preservation is anything to stop all that from happening, to keep our food just for us and not for other organisms, or to introduce organisms that we can eat safely. And also food preservation, often you get it to a point where the, there's so much of the byproduct that it's not like safe in there for the microbes anymore. So you have all this vinegar or acetic acid. It's too mm. acidic for anything to survive, including sometimes the original microbes, though not always. Mm-hmm. Um, so they basically like poison themselves, just like we're doing with our own, with our atmosphere. But uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. we've got time to figure it out, I think. I have a question about brewing. So people did that to make water that was potable. Is that, is this accurate? Is this a, were people always drunk a little bit back in the day? I'll jump in here because this uh, was covered in a lot of colonial histories in America because yeah, brewing in one of the side, one of the side effects of brewing is that makes the water potable. And so Mm -hmm. that's why people, even kids would be drinking beer or whatever for lunch. But like the beer was much weaker. Apparently it was like 2% or less alcohol so it's unlikely and that's fine to get <laughs> yeah, yeah totally, let's, let's, let's totally. Just have a have a good old time people <laughs> you know people who wanted to get drunk drink spirits back then okay yeah and th- and that's like one of the reasons why like apples were very important because you could make some like a weak alcoholic thing from them and then you'd have this safe thing to drink good thing people were just leaving stuff out all the time back then it seems like Old milk, old water. Um, I dropped my wheat in the water. Uh oh. (laughs) Turned out it was great. (laughs) Yeah. You're making a soup. You're making a wheat soup first, and then magic happens. Uh, Some kind of alchemy. Dionysus comes down and just touches it with a stick, and you get to have a party. (laughs) So, Sari, do we know where the word preserve comes from? Yes. It seems like we'd have a good, there'd be a good something there. Uh huh. It's pretty, uh, pretty solid. In that it is from the late 14th century, um, from the word preserving, to keep safe or free from harm, or to Mm. make sure that something doesn't occur. But what was interesting is that when it comes to biological things, as far as I can tell, I might be reading too much into this, the, the noun preservative came into use more commonly and more frequently, um, in the 15th century, for a substance oh. that perver- preserves corpses. Uh, so anything, ah. like, we were more interested in preserving yeah. corpses first about, like, okay, how do you make the dead people stop decaying? And then the sense mm-hmm. of a chemical that we add to food to keep them from rotting is from 1875. And so a preservative for a long wow. time was, like, Yowza. medical. We got to... Uh, ooh, Halloween! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta, something's dead, and we want it to stop being gross, so let's preserve it as long as possible. And oh, then we're like, oh, I guess that's kind of what we're doing with food. We pick it from the tree, and then it's dead, yeah. and then we want to keep it good as long as possible. 
I would not have thought that preservative would reach that far back. And that's the only thing that makes sense as to why, because we were obsessed with that stuff. So like most, a lot of what we knew about like alchemy and chemistry came from people being paid lots of money to, to have dead people, not rot in the spirit of, of Halloween is a, is a dead human corpse. You can cut this out if it's too grim. Is a dead human corpse, a preserved food. Would it, would it belong (laughs) <laughs> I mean, in I suppose it could be. Like a salami? Yeah, is it like, like how, how, no, no. how far, how far is mummy and salami or jerky? Were, like reindeer jerky from... People were eating mummies, yeah. correct? People were eating mummies? Were yeah, people used to eat mummies. People were in sniffing the mummies, the ground up mummies yeah. too. It Definitely was sniffing. Crazy. I heard about that. Yeah, there were so many spare mummies back in the day that you could just use there. anything. <laughs> too many and mummies. Yeah. Kindling. It's just, that's crazy. That, like, can you imagine having such a surplus of mummies just and they're like easily accessible? Like, yeah, you could just use them just for sitting anything around. you wanted. It's crazy. Sorry, I'm going to venture that the ways that we preserved mummies probably made them inedible. Yeah, I would think so too. What chemicals did they use in mummies? I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. Otherwise, they would just be like beef jerky. I mean, maybe they were like, well, just dry it out curing, with salt on yeah, it. Yeah, dried and cured meat is one of the key ways to preserving. I mean, and that could be the mummies just were that really, essentially. I mean, that's why you can eat beef jerky that's years and years old. They did use a naturally occurring salt uh, containing sodium carbonate, sodium Uh bicarbonate. I think you can eat that. You you can definitely, yeah. yeah. Sodium chloride, which is just salt. That's salt. Sodium sulfate is the one I'm iffy about. That doesn't sound as good. That sounds like a Uh, sulfur compound. At least (laughs) What What's that? Let me look up the MSDS for sodium sulfate. May cause gastrointestinal irritation with nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. May be harmful if swallowed. Maybe, though. Might be. Might not be, is what I'm hearing. We can't not eat a mummy. Basically <laughs> I just found the a little phrase. upset stomach to get the yeah. mummy flavor. All right, everybody. Now it's time to move on to the, wait, what is it? The quiz portion of our show, which I will be kicking off Trick or Treat Month with a... So humans have developed many creative approaches to preserving food, but we are not the only ones with concerns about the freshness of what we eat. Animals also have to worry about this, especially if they are stashing food for a rainy day, leading to different types of behaviors called caching that help animals keep their food safe from rot and from thieves. Now, the following are three stories of animals and their ingenious strategies for making sure their food lasts, but only one of them is true. So don't think all three of these are true, but you have to pick out which one is actually not a lie. Story number one, American pikas store their favorite grass meals for winter in piles. But first, these high altitude mammals pack their cheeks full of grass so that it can mix with antimicrobial compounds in their saliva, which keeps the grass from rotting after they spit it out into these grass piles. Or... It might not be that one. It might be this one. Short-tailed shrews inject their insect larvae prey with venom that does not kill the meal. It just paralyzes it. Then they stash their paralyzed prey in their nests so that it's fresh for when they finally want to eat it. Because it's still alive. Or it could be... Shrew venom, huh? Shrew venom. Yeah, that okay. we're going to revisit that. <laughs> Or it could be story number three. Western scrub jays hide stashes of seeds by hiding them in the ground. To make sure that their stores can last for as long as possible, the birds often pick locations filled with a specific fungus that prevents the seeds from germinating. 
Which one do you think it is? Is it story number one, pikas stuff their cheeks full of grass and antimicrobial saliva to create their winter stores? Story number two, shrews paralyze their future snacks to preserve that freshly killed flavor? Or story number three, western scrub jays keep their seeds fresh with anti-germination fungus? Shrew venom. Does a, Can a mammal have venom? Yes. 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 Platypuses have oh, hind foot spurs that are venomous that they can like jab into each other when they're mating. But I don't know about shrews. Yeah. I've never heard of a shrew with venom yeah. besides yeah, like taming the of the shrew. I mean, that's not, that's not the fact. So I will go ahead and tell you that yes, shrews do have venom. Oh. Ah. It is a real thing. I, st- I still don't believe it. <laughs> 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 That's the lie of truth. I got confirmation bias. <laughs> so their spit would have something with the Pika cheeks that would keep their it. Spit. Yeah. So they just hold it there. It yes. just gets gooey they and hold then... it there, get it all gooped up, and then they spit it in the pile. Here's what I think about the scrub jay. I think they want their thing to sprout. Isn't there something that wants their thing to sprout? So I'm gonna go with, I'm not gonna go with that one's wrong because I feel like they'd be like, I'm planting this seed for my own future benefit. I just don't know if they're smart enough. Planting seeds, it feels like it's always incidental with animals. Like, oh, I'm accidentally planting seeds. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna guess the shrew. I think I I mm. I feel like it's so Sarah's weird that shrews true. have venom, and I didn't know that mm-hmm. that they might as well also be like little <laughs> spiders storing their prey. Well, what would their their what would their venom be for otherwise? I think it's the shrew as well. That's why they even have wow. venom in the first okay. place. He came around. They aren't going to fight anything bigger than them. They're only going to be going after little guys and making them sick. Bill, I think it's the pika. I think the other two sound like they're made up, even if they're not. <laughs> they sound made up. The other one, that's the first one. Uh, the pika one is so mild that I don't believe yes. somebody would have gone to the trouble of making it up. But I that's where they get you sometimes, also, though. This also happens when I listen to that show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, where they make up these fake things. And I'm like, wait, nobody yeah. would have ever written that. But in this case, <laughs> if you wrote, if you did write the Pika one, my hat's off to you because it's so it's so mild. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel that way, I feel that way about the scrub jade, too. But here's the situation with with Pika. They don't hibernate, so they do have to create caches of grass. It's a process that they call haying. They will uh, venture into the grassy areas around. They'll pick out specific plants. They'll bring them back to their homes, gather all that into little piles. And while rotting is a potential challenge, pikas will forage for plants that have compounds in them that slow down bacterial growth, which could help keep the hay piles fresher for longer. But they do not use antimicrobial spit. Uh, Well, uh, hats off. That's a good one. But short-tailed trues (gasps) do have a gland that is filled with venom. And when they bite into their prey, that venom mixes with their saliva and paralyzes the prey that allows the shrew to stash it in their nest. And if the prey wakes up before the shrew is hungry, the shrew just bites it again. Ugh, that's horrible. Back into paralytic (laughs) preservation mode. Researchers have studied the venom to see if they can identify some of the proteins involved. And one research group has found a small protein called soracidin in the venom which they found can keep a mealworm paralyzed and alive for up to 15 days. Oh, no. Another research group found a glycoprotein called uh, blurina toxin in the venom. And while those molecules are are wielded by shrews as a weapon, they're interesting to scientists because they might be a way to treat different medical issues like migraines or diseases related to blood circulation. Scrub jays do bury seeds. Uh, and unlike what Sari was saying about squirrels, they actually kind of keep track of all of their caches. And if they see other birds around, they will move them 
They'll be oh. like, no, mm-hmm. you can't have those. So they're quite clever, um, but they do not use a fungus to keep their seeds from germinating. The, the best part of having a guest on SciShow Tangents is when they just lose. <laughs> they get blasted out of the so hard by our expert guests that they never want to come back ever again. You guys spend, I, 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 I'm not going to be scared away <laughs> by, by defeat. <laughs> That's right. No, we're all familiar with with failure here on SciShow Tangents. <laughs> Next up, we're going to take a short break, and then Sam has another devious game for us. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Factor, whose ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning. Stress is stressful. I don't like it. <laughs> Life just goes and goes, and it doesn't ever stop going. There's always something else to do. And one of those things is a very important thing called eating dinner. To eat dinner, one must pick out what they want to eat and then go to the grocery store and then buy the stuff and then chop the stuff and do other things to the stuff. You have to heat the stuff and put it in water. And then afterwards, you have to take the things that you heated it in and they're gross and you have to make them clean again. Meanwhile, life is still happening that all oh, all oh, that's building up around you. Oh, this is like, terrifying. I'm so, yeah. I never want to cook again. <laughs> You're right, Factor Ad. I don't. I don't want to have this happen. This is unacceptable. Sometimes, uh, parentheses, all the time, uh, you just don't have the time or the energy for meal planning on top of everything else going on in your life. So thankfully, Factor is here to help. Factor's two-minute meals are your secret weapon come mealtime. You can get chef-crafted meals that are better for you and better tasting than takeout delivered right to your door, ready to heat and ready to eat. No prep, no mess, no sink full of dishes, no stress. We're kicking stress out the door in 2024, and I certainly hope that's true for me. <laughs> Heck yeah, Factor. Kick my stress. Right out the door. <laughs> I'm going to get a chest freezer just for these meals. <laughs> Oh, you're going to need one because they have over 35 meals to choose from. Flexible ordering options, add-ons, smoothies. Factor offers all sorts of fast, simple solutions when you're too busy to cook. Banish your stress, even if it's just for like one hour while you're eating dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash tangents50 and use code tangents50 to get 50% off. That's code tangents50 at factormeals.com slash tangents50 to get 50% off. Special Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Aspersions. One of those. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun Mm -hmm. burns out. And you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. (laughs) (laughs) You want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. That bean's not going to grow. If there's there's a constant drain on the, on the bean, bean. that 
is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond... I mean, beans and beyond subscription canceling (laughs) rocket money helps you build budgets, track your spending and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans. So they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. (laughs) (laughs) Different kind of bean, I guess. A cheaper, more of a cheaper type of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. (laughs) Yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. (laughs) Subscription (laughs) companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot. And now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop wasting (laughs) money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans. Cancel your (laughs) unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Hello, welcome back, everybody. Sam has one. Sari has one. Bill has none. And I got one, I guess, because I because I, I fooled somebody. Oh, yeah. That's how this game works. I forgot. Yes. All right. Excellent. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> Sam. You have a game now. I do have a game. What, what 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 are we about to do? My game is a new game, and it's called You Gonna Eat That? So humans have been preserving food for a long, long time, and occasionally that preserved food can get stashed away in a tomb, a cupboard, or just like roll under the couch and just sit there for decades and decades. And because we are human, when we refine this ancient preserved food, the first question that might pop into our heads is, mm. hmm, can I still eat that? Which brings yeah. me to my game. Absolutely. So, oh, I love it. This phase, is a game. This is informative. So, phase one. Oh, it's a multi-part game as well. Phase one. Oh, wow. I will tell you about an ancient preserved food, and you will all tell me how old you think it is. The closest oh, okay. gets a point. And right. because I guess somehow I need to make points as well. Uh, phase two is you will tell me if you think anyone ate or drank this old food after uh-huh. discovering it. If you're right, you get a bonus point. If not, I get a point. Does this okay. point system make any sense at all? I have no idea. I'm not Will Shorts, puzzle master of the New York Times, but I'm doing my best. <laughs> Question one. Twinkies were invented in 1930 and are widely rumored to be perfectly shelf-stable and last forever. So, how old is the oldest known Twinkie? Sari, wow, you go... F- like, still around. Uh, that's still around, yeah. From 1930 to now, anywhere. I'm going to guess 50 years. See, I was also going to say 50 years, but now I don't know if this is one of those Price is Right situations where if I say 49 mm-hmm. years, I will be. <laughs> you, Yeah, we could box her in and I could go, you could go 49 and I could go 51. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Real, that's fun. Real, real mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say 45 years. I'm going to say 65 years. That's an old Twinkie. Here's the answer. The oldest Twinkie, the one that seemingly set off the whole Twinkies will be edible long after humanity dies off legend, oh. is or was displayed at George Stevens Academy in Blue Hill, Maine for 46 years. Oh, so Bill, wow. You were like exactly right. Bill. Wow. Wow. This I'm is sorry your comeback. I cut you off there with the, 40, with the, with the 45. Cut it so you, you would have won otherwise. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, 
the thing about Twinkies, everybody needs to say that they don't, they're not edible forever. They're edible, edible for about a month, but they still look the same. Yeah. Like McDonald's burgers, same thing. You can, there's McDonald's burgers right. around for 50, that have been sitting around for 50 years. In fact, somebody found them in a wall. Remember that? Did you see that like on the internet like a month ago? <laughs> yeah. I yeah. yeah. I did Once not. There was food in there still? I thought there was food in there, wasn't there, in that bag? Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. It was like, a, it looked like a burger still. Yeah, oh. I mean, it didn't decay. It doesn't decay in the way that you would expect but it to decay. But it's not going to, yeah. Not going to taste like good. leather. Right. Yeah. Well, oh, well. Being a, like a burger made of wood. Second part of this question, regardless of whether or not it tasted good or should have been eaten, knowing the age of the Twinkie, did anyone eat this Twinkie? Sarah, you get to guess first. Just a simple yes or no. Did someone I eat think this we Twinkie? All, go all at once. Uh, yeah. Give us a oh. countdown. Oh. Okay. Three, two, one. No. no. You're no. all saying no. All no. Yeah. You kind of gave us a hint. I feel like once you discover the oldest Twinkie, you wanted to keep. You want to keep it around. See how long it lasts. There's yeah. a real hazard of death from such a thing. I really think you could die from eating something, the cream, nah. cream filling that's been sitting around for 45 years. No? Okay. <laughs> I think so. I'd dig it. I'd jump it. Though this Twinkie began the immortal Twinkie urban legend, it also disproves it. Twinkies have an official shelf life of 25 days. Impressive for any baked good. But Twinkies do indeed die, as do we all. Uh, this Twinkie looks like shit and is presumably rock hard. So between that and the fact that this Twinkie is famous, no one's eaten it. And it's still at the school in a in a box on the principal's desk, I think. Someday future people will find it and they'll grind it into a powder to sniff it. <laughs> it'll improve their virility. <laughs> yeah. that, that's very likely. And then some chuckle fucks will talk about it on a podcast. Exactly. Even farther <laughs> in the future than that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Question two. Curing meat is a method of food preservation that predates history. The oldest cured ham ever, however, is a little younger than that. How old? Is the oldest known cured ham. <laughs> Specifically <laughs> ham. That's a ham that's sitting around. Yes, okay. and this time Bill goes, goes first. first Bill time. goes first Bill this goes time. First. The oldest cured this is ham. A tough one. This is a tough one, and I could be way off the mark here, but I'm going to say 2,700 years. Hank, give it a I'm shot. Gonna go, I'm going to go deeper, and I'm going to say 3,500 Sorry. Mm, I'm going to go right in the middle of this because I, uh, yeah, 3,200. Okay. So though I imagine, like you guys intimated, there's got to be a tomb somewhere with an older ham. When you search the (laughs) oldest ham, the oldest cured ham, what you find is that it uh, it was cured in a butcher shop in Smithfield, Virginia in 1902, Uh then put in the back of a closet and forgotten about for 120 years. Well, maybe they're just like, maybe hams are new. Maybe hams are pretty new. That can't be true. They got to be at least 500 years old. When was the ham invented? Yeah. When was ham invented? <laughs> okay, well, while you look that up, ponder this question. Knowing the age of the ham is 120 years. Did anyone eat this ham? Three, two, one. Yes. Yes. All, all we yeses. all think they ate the ham. According to ham experts, the meat is still most likely edible, but wouldn't taste like much but rancid fat. That being said, no one ate the ham. I'd uh, eat the ham. Come on. It can still be eaten, right? It exists. We can, Did they, they can just put it, it back in the counter? They put it in a freaking museum. They didn't even try one little bite of it. Ham was invented 7,000 years ago. <laughs> so there's an older ham out there. 
Yeah. If you know of an older ham, let me know. And then we'll, we'll revisit the scores. <laughs> Question three. Fruitcake, like Twinkies, have a reputation for lasting forever. And thanks to the presence of rum and candied fruit in your average fruitcake, they are indeed more shelf-stable than your average baked good. So how old mm-hmm. is the oldest known fruitcake? Hank goes first this time. Like, yeah. Okay, I'm going to say 60 years. Sari. 250 years. Older than the ham. Okay. Ooh, old cake. Older Rock than the ham. Cake. Nothing's older than the ham. So that's Bill. older than America. So that would have been in from the 1770s or whatever. Uh, I think it's more more oh. likely from the Victorian era. You know, there's <clears> probably <throat> some. My if my guess would be, it would be one of those ones that from like Harrods or some British department store that's still around, Marks and Spencer's. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's. Yeah. I'm going to say it's from eight, about 1882. So what is that? 140 years. 140 I, years. I like the idea that you could just like be on a riverbank. Uh, and he's like looking at the rocks and then it just turns out one of them's a fruitcake. It's just like been weathered into a small stone. You never know. That's why you have to bite every rock. Way back in the late 1800s, a woman named Fidelia Ford had a holiday tradition. Make a fruitcake, then put it away and let it age for a year before serving it to her family the next year. Unfortunately, as was bound to happen, she died in 1878 and the cake she had been aging was never served. So, do you say 1878 and Bill said 1880? Yeah, I said 1882. <laughs> he said, yeah. <laughs> so the cake is 144 years old. It's been oh passed down from generation to generation. <laughs> it's currently with what? with Fidelia's great great granddaughter. They didn't serve the cake, which I think is hilarious. They were like, well, no, we know this cake is here, but we are not eating another one of these year old cakes, please. So. <laughs> So they knew it. Yeah, they, they they were like, we love her too much to eat her last cake. That's why. Sure. And now uh, it's so knowing the age of the cake, did anyone ever end up eating this cake? It doesn't have to be the whole cake. Just did anyone eat the cake? Three, okay, two, yeah. one. No. Yes. No. I think that somebody did. Now wait until you hear this. Say. In December 2003, okay. a previous holder of Fidelia's fruitcake made an appearance on The Tonight Show, during which host uh-huh. Jay Leno took a bite of the cake and said it needs more aging. So Jay Leno <laughs> ate the cake. Jay Leno, Leno ate, ate the ancient cake. Yeah, what a horrible the old cake. pick for someone to eat the cake. <laughs> and that's how he became what he is today. That's his, his supervillain origin story. He was already that in 2003. Yeah. <laughs> You think he started wearing all that denim after he ate that cake? Come on. <laughs> okay, question four. Pickling is thought to have originated in Mesopotamia in 2400 BC, which doesn't help you narrow it down much as you tell me how old the oldest pickled cucumber is. Series first. Okay. Ancient Mesopotamia. I feel like we've lost things from, from then, so slightly more recent. <laughs> uh, yeah. 2500 years ago. Old That's an old, old pickle. pickle. Like you buried mm-hmm. it in the, you pickled it, you buried it in the ground, forgot about it, and then forgot in some ruins, it. we're like, oh man, is this pickle? A pickle? Bill, oldest. Pickle. Most pickles are kept in airtight jars, you know, and I feel like if you didn't have an airtight jar, the pickle would disintegrate over a period of a thousand years or so. So I don't believe that pickles are lying around in tombs, like beef jerky might be. Or, or um, you know, things like that. So I think it'll probably be as far more recent. Like it'd have to be in glass. It would have to be in a jar making it, I don't know, I, I would say maybe 170 years old. I didn't think Bill about feel, the glass you, element you of very, it. You seem so, so <laughs> both confident and like you have great, 
And I'm just, like, I just desperately want you to be so wrong. <laughs> I probably will be so wrong, but I'm just, you know, my reasoning is sound, but I could be inc- incredibly wrong. <laughs> I don't know, but I, I am totally on your side. And I, in fact, I'm going to say that uh, that pickles are so delicious that everyone gets eaten within six months. So the oldest pickle is six months old. Hank, that's a joke answer. Yeah, yeah that's an absolutely <laughs> embarrassing answer. It's somewhere between <laughs> 140 and six months. So... Maybe there is a pickle in a jar sitting on a shelf somewhere in former Mesopotamia that's older. But now, now that Bill says all that, I don't know. Uh, the oldest pickle is or was thought to reside in Springfield, Missouri, in the Damn home it. of Tom Baker, who thinks his grandparents jarred the pickle. This is a little bit fucked up, what I'm about to say. In 1845, which is 177 years ago. <gasps> Bill, how do you know what? exactly when I'm a, every pickle guys, is you don't have to be. You don't have to be ashamed. I'm a food <laughs> professional. Uh, that's true. <laughs> I'm a, yes, I'm I a know. food professional. But that's chilling down my spine when you said. I appear on the, the Food That Built America talking about the history of food. But honestly, these are all just guesses. They're educated guesses. It's like guessing jelly beans in a jar. Your estimation skills are so good for this one yeah. bizarre thing. <laughs> this, this one specific How old is yeah. a pickle? Okay, oh, so. Man. This so was a wild guess. Knowing the pickle is 177 years old. It was not a wild guess. You had ba- evidence to back it up and everything. No, okay, How old was it? It was an educated guess. <laughs> guess Did anyone eat this pickle? Pickle. Three, two, one. Yes. No. It is a family heirloom. No one's eating the pickle. They're passing it down no from generation to pickle. generation. You gotta keep that pickle. Except it, give it to Jay Leno. Yeah, give it to Jimmy <laughs> yeah. Kimmel. Give it to. Don't put it. Yes. Don't get it in front of yeah, Jay. Get that, if you get that pickle anywhere near Jimmy Kimmel, he will absolutely eat it. He's Any looking, of the Jimmy. Like a feral animal. They'll be going for that pickle. I gotta eat the old oh, food. This is gonna go huge on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to go real fast. Canning was invented in 1809 by a French inventor who won a prize for helping Napoleon figure out how to transport lots of food to feed his army. But was the oldest discovered canned food from Napoleon's time? Hmm, you tell me. Uh, Bill. I would say, uh, yes, it was. I don't think that, I mean, it was invented. This is the whole, by the way, just as a tangent here, that whole thing, I don't, if you guys saw that TV series about that British ship that came to explore America in the 1840s, that whole thing, was and everybody died in a creepy, mysterious way. They, they believe it was due to the canning because this was one of the earliest the times that a ship had had loaded up with canned food, and there was some kind of poisoning in the solder uh, of the canned food that they all had to survive Whoa. on. That all made them made this whole thing crazy. Anyway, to say that I believe canning was invented around that time, and there's no earlier canning ever. I think. I mean, it's it. That seems all very right. I'm going to go with 150 just to just to allow for some cans getting just a lot of them getting lost. Sorry. 180 right in the middle. In 1856, a steamboat named Arabia was tooting cargo around Kansas when it hit a branch and sunk to the bottom of the Missouri River. Everybody on board got out, but the boat sank to the bottom and was promptly forgotten. Silt built up. Not all the cans. Silt built up the river. They did not. Somebody think of the cans. The river shifted. Flash forward to 1988 when the Arabia was excavated half a mile from the river's current location under 45 feet of dirt in a farmer's field. Inside the rotten hull of the boat, a lot of the cargo sat in completely pristine condition, including clothes, fine china, and canned food that is currently 166 years old. Oh, my God. And is the oldest known canned food. Uh, and I they built a whole museum around all this stuff that they found that you can go to in Kansas City. But did anybody, uh, while they were excavating or otherwise, pop a can open and have a century-old snack? Three, two, one. No. Simply put, yes. During excavation. What? <laughs> what? The person died? It is said that one of... 
that one of the workers ate a pickle just slightly younger than the pickle we just talked about. They didn't die, I guess. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I believe that that pickle was actually older than this guy who said that his grandparents pickled a pickle in 1870 or whatever. It's just like that guy just said that. That, I mean, given the fact that people died all the time from poorly canned food back then, that was a risky, risky move that guy made. It was a super risky. Yeah, move. people didn't know that. In, I bet in 1988. 1988, they didn't know, know he that. Didn't, he didn't have the internet. He didn't have the internet. People's, people's lives didn't have value back then. <laughs> they the did. 80s. He just didn't it's know. True. Life was cheap. <laughs> Somebody else ate apples, it said, and they were fine as well. And finally, wine is the poster child of It Gets Better With Age. The earliest mm-hmm. evidence of winemaking dates back 8,000 years. Between then and when was the oldest known bottle of still liquid wine bottled. I am going <clears throat> to say that that wine was 350 years old. Okay. Sorry. 200 years. I could have sworn I've seen a bottle of wine from Roman times in the Smithsonian that still had wine in it. So I'm going to say... Uh, 2,300 years old. Found in the tomb of a Roman nobleman in modern day Germany. <laughs> the Spire <laughs> wine bottle. Steamboat one. <laughs> it's 1,697 years old. So a generous layer of olive oil was poured on top of the wine and the whole thing was sealed with wax, explaining why it never evaporated past a cork because there wasn't a cork. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. the olive oil had the unfortunate side effect of slowly sinking down into the wine, making for some very cloudy, lumpy looking uh, content that only the bravest of connoisseurs could love. So tell me, was anyone brave enough to try this very, very old wine? Three, two, one. No. Yes. No. The museum it's housed oh. in. They won't even let it be open for scientific study, let alone so some snooty rich person oh. can pay a few million dollars to take a single rancid sip of it. Yeah, I feel I feel like the snooty rich people are so powerful that it, that it would have happened. But I guess uh, museums are like, why? No. That. <laughs> yeah. Well, the final scores are Sari with four, me with four. Uh, Bill with eight and Sam with eleven, but only because Sam designed. I seed my victory. I seed my victory to lose. Yeah, Bill. freaking be a good trick or treater and give some candy to Bill so he can win. After yeah, that stellar Bill, performance. After that amazing performance, he seems to have traveled back in time to the advent of every creation of every food. So, uh, <laughs> so congratulations, amazing. Bill. You actually win. I cheated. Well, thank you. Then I'm glad <laughs> it makes up for my uh, incorrect. Answers about the, the the shrew and the pika. Uh, you know about human foods more than you do about eating <laughs> yeah. animal foods. Uh, <laughs> yeah, eating grass and stuff, etc. Yeah. All right, now it's time to ask the science couch, where we've got a listener question for our uh, couch of finely honed scientific minds. At Daniel Bacchio asks, "Do chip bags really need all that air in them?" I think that it's helpful because you don't want all your chips to be chip dust, and so you need a little bit of space in there, right? Is that the thing? feels like that's the thing you got a layer of the box you got the box on the outside and then you want the you want there to be a lot of insulation on the inside so that stuff can not get squished as it transits the country i feel like they're i don't know i guess we're not really guessing i think it is necessary i, I think there's yeah. some science to it but that's your purview tell us about the science right well this is the thing this uh, i i you you do exactly what i do which is i talk out of the side of my mouth and then sari tells us the actual oh, okay. i did the research <laughs> <laughs> so yes uh it's called slack fill um is what in the, in the biz in the in the chip biz uh <laughs> when the snack makers make it that's that's what you add to the chip bag to add 
a little cushion. Uh-huh. So yes, in some way it is a physical cushion, but it is also a chemical cushion for the mm. chips. Um, so the Earth's atmosphere is around 78% nitrogen and 21% oxygen, gas, and then 1% other stuff. And like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, oxygen can react. It can oxidate uh, the fats. So chips like potato chips are oily and fatty. And so there was this nervousness around the food industry that the chips would turn rancid or stale. And when you leave chips out in air, normal air, breathable air. That does happen. They stale right up. And so they, to Mm -hmm. prevent the chips from going stale uh, or going rancid, then they flush the chip bags with nitrogen gas, which is a non-reactive gas. And so when you have a sealed chip bag, it's actually like closer to 100% nitrogen instead of Mm. the 78% nitrogen that's in the atmosphere around us um, to keep keep the chips from going bad. Is there something about the nitrogen that is it nitrogen or any gas that expands at higher altitudes? Cause I've heard people tell oh, me about oh. this. Their gas that, you know, people who've gone mountain climbing bags of potato chips, the bags have burst and people mail me chips yeah. from all over the world. And about 10% of them have burst as well. And oh. I wonder if they were on planes or something. Uh, you, that is a, any, that is a, any gas thing. So you can sort of picture the inside of the chip bag having a certain number of molecules in it. And it's, if it's the same as the outside, then like outside molecules are pushing and inside molecules are pushing and it's equal. But then as you go higher up, there's fewer outside molecules oh. pushing and the inside molecules are pushing just as much. And so it gets bigger and bigger. <sighs> it's like, if you took it to space, it would be a, like a big, big balloon. <laughs> But Pringles, that wouldn't happen with Pringles, presumably, right? Because of the tube. That's, uh, <laughs> the tube is sturdy. A, a big, yeah, big thing on it, like a little bubble on top. Okay, yeah, that's why we can foil thing. We can only eat Pringles up here in Montana. <laughs> I love a Pringle. Well, if you want to ask the Science Couch your question, because that was fascinating and I did not know about it, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we will tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Or you can join the SciShowTangents Patreon and ask us on our Discord. Thank you to Adam Foote, Micah R.Y., and everybody else who asked us your questions for this episode. Thank you to Bill for coming on our podcast. Uh, What are you up to? Where we can find more of your things. I have two things to plug. Okay, first of all, as mentioned in my intro, Space 1969 is on Audible. It is an audio book or a podcast, really more of a radio play that I wrote Mm -hmm. by myself, five and a half hours long. It stars Natasha Lyonne. takes place in 1969 in a slightly alternate universe where JFK survived the assassination and decided to get rid of Vietnam and expand the U.S. into space as quickly as possible. And therefore, when the show begins, we have an orbiting space station and we're opening a colony on the moon. Natasha Leone stars as a nurse on the space station who was caught up in a hilarious conspiracy that um, sort of takes over uh, everything. And this is a a comedy show. Uh, I hope you'll enjoy it. Check it out. Secondly, even more important, I if you have if you have an interest in food and perhaps listening to this thing you do, I have an online Patreon organization called the Steamed Hams Society. <laughs> Those familiar with The Simpsons know that I wrote this sketch that is colloquial called Steamed Hams. So the Steamed mm-hmm. Ham Society is for food enthusiasts from all over the world. We have hundreds of people, including people who are like in Instagram food types, chefs, 
people who are home cooks who like to talk about food. We have newsletter, we have a live stream, we have all that stuff. And there's a special new level for Simpsons fans that where we're going to have live streams with old, you know, writers and producers, animators from the Simpsons, oh, as cool. well as a special discord channel just for Simpsons chat. So if you have an interest in either of those topics, go to steamedhamssociety.com and sign up and you will see me on the discord every day. I think the Vin, like all of humanity is interested in at least one of those things. So everybody in the whole <laughs> world should so. be signed up. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Bill, for coming on our podcast and being one of our spooky guests. It was totally my pleasure. And I'm glad that we got to do this topic that is somewhat in my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's super easy to do that. You can go to patreon.com slash scishowtangents and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's very helpful and helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people, people about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Sam Schultz. And I was Bill Oakley. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz. Our editor is Seth Glitzman. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Julia Buzz Bazzaio. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our executive producers are Caitlin Hostmeister and me, Hank Green. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. <laughs> the cartoonist Scott Adams, who created Dilbert, worked with food scientists in 1999 to create some microwavable vegetarian burritos with non-meat protein, plus some extra mineral and vitamin fortification to hit 100% of your recommended daily amount. So it was kind of like Soylent, but in the frozen food section and called Aww. the Dill Burrito. <laughs> yes, the Dill Burrito. This preserved food, this preserved food, the Dill Burrito, tanked by 2003 partially because, and this is a direct quote from Mr. Adams, the mineral fortification was hard to disguise, and because of the veggie and legume content, three bites of the Dill Burrito made you fart so hard your intestines formed a tail. The end. Ah. <laughs> Chilling sentence. <laughs> <laughs> it really is a picturesque, towards more picturesque speech there from Mr. Adams really describes that in a nauseating yeah. way. <laughs>